So I want to start with a little story. Um, back in the late third century, early fourth century, uh, there was a young man who lived in the northeast part of England. His name was Patrick. And when he was 18, one day he was kidnapped by some pirates, some Celtic pirates, and they took him back to Ireland. Uh, and so this 18-year-old lived uh, as a slave in, uh, in the, the territory of Ireland uh, with the Celtic people uh, over the next six years. And during that time, he, he got to know his captors pretty well. Uh, he learned their language, he learned their customs, he learned to relate to them and see them as people. Um, and also during that time, he became very, very uh, prayerful and very connected to God. Uh, he spent most of his time when he was working actually uh, in prayer and connecting with God. And so one day after six years, he had a dream. And in the dream, God said to him, uh, it's time. It's time to go. Your ship is ready. So he woke up the next morning. He walked down to the coast and there was a ship there. So he negotiated his way on board and he left Ireland. Um, after, after six years of being there. He went back to England eventually. We don't know exactly when or, or how. He spent some time in Rome and Gaul, but eventually back to England. Um, and young Patrick became a priest. And he spent the majority of his adult life as a priest in England. Uh, but by the time he was 48, which was actually pretty well past the life expectancy during that time, he got another message from God. Uh, and God said, it's time for you to go back, uh, go back to Ireland. Uh, and so he gathered a group of missionaries, a, a kind of a, a, a group of, of people who would travel with him. And they went back to Ireland and Patrick became uh, a missionary to the Celtic people. And what's beautiful about this story is that Patrick did things in a way that um, uh, much of the Roman church didn't really do at that point. He didn't go to Ireland and impose the, the Roman church on their culture. He went because he understood them and he knew their language. He, he was able to communicate with them in ways that made sense to them. He was able to, to use their, their own images and their own language. Uh, and the Celtic people <clears throat> were actually very, <clears throat> excuse me, were very creative uh, and very imaginative. Um, so Patrick found himself using a lot of things like uh, poetry, uh, art, music, drama, dance, uh, connecting with nature, and uh, these kinds of things, because <clears throat> this was the language the Celtic people spoke. They were very, very uh, creative and very, very imaginative uh, and used a lot of imagery. Um, and the cool part of the, the end of the story, I think, is that Patrick did such great work in Ireland that, that by the end of his time, he had planted over 700 churches in Ireland. Uh, and a few centuries later, when most of Western Europe, actually Christianity was waning in, in Western Europe, uh, Christianity was so strong in Ireland that the Celtic Christians sent missionaries back to mainland Europe and re-evangelized Europe. Uh, and there's a great book by Thomas Cahill called How the Irish Saved Civilization. And that's kind of what it's about. And so uh, they re-evangelized Europe and kept, kept Christianity alive uh, and, and really helped to bring Europe out of the dark ages. Um, but that's not the point. The point is that there's this one thing that we, we talk about some nowadays uh, that we get from this Celtic Christianity. Um, and it's a concept called thin places. And maybe some of you have heard of this idea uh, <clears throat> that there are thin places where um, the, the best way to describe it is uh, if we exist in a, in a physical realm where we can experience things with our five senses, God exists in a primarily spiritual realm 
where God is spirit. Those things coexist kind of in the same time and place, but there's a veil that separates the uh, the, the physical realm from the spiritual realm. Uh, Jesus kind of moved through that veil, right? He was in the spiritual realm. He came into the, our physical realm, and then he went back to the spiritual realm. But, but the Celtic Christian idea was that there are these places where, um, uh, where things are, are a little bit thinner. That veil is a little bit thinner, and you can sense the spiritual realm a little bit more deeply. Um, a thin place could be a physical location, uh, or it could be maybe actually a, a time or a day or a date. Um, certain holidays might consider to be thin places. Um, maybe you're one of those people, um, I, I don't really know because this doesn't happen to me, but if, if you get up in the morning, then maybe like early morning might be a thin place for you. Maybe you um, can experience God more deeply in, in that time. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe you're a person who likes to connect with God in nature, or maybe there's a very specific place in nature that is your thin place. So this is the idea uh, of this, this Celtic Christian thought of thin places. And I was thinking about this this week because um, our spiritual prescription this week, we have a new, uh, a new task, a new prescription every week that kind of helps us draw closer to God. And um, this week it was to, to focus on the names of God. And so of all the list of the names of God that Keith gave us last week, I decided that rather than read all of them every day, I was going to focus on one. So, so beginning of the week, I focused on, on one, and, and that was with me through the whole week. Uh, and that name of God was Jehovah Shammah, uh, which uh, is uh, God is near. And I was really focusing in the early part of the week about, yes, God is near, God is near. And like the psalm that Sabrina read a little earlier, God is with us. He is all around us. But then as I began to struggle with that and wrestle with that, I thought, well, wait a minute, <clears throat> God is near but sometimes it doesn't feel like he's near, right? Sometimes we feel far from God. Um, and sometimes the Bible says that, that we need to seek God in order for him to be near. We need to go to him in, in order for him to come to us. And so I thought, what is this duality that the Bible talks about God being near and everywhere all the time, but at the same time, also we need to seek him. Um, <clears throat> so just for example sake, um, Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, God says this through the prophet Jeremiah about being everywhere. He says, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord? and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? So God basically is saying, look, I'm not just in heaven, I fill heaven. I'm not just present on the earth, I fill the earth. I am everywhere. And so this gives us the sense that that God is truly everywhere. Um, and, and, and it's a comforting thought because we want God to be with us all the time, right? Uh, but then there are other things in the Bible that, that almost say something different. Um, in 2 Chronicles, it says this, The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. In Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. And then the verse that I was most familiar with is out of James chapter four. And James just simply says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So it made me wonder, yeah, how does, how does this exactly work? We need to draw near to God. Um, and, and it made me think of this idea of thin places. <clears throat> and one of the stories that came to mind from scripture, which might possibly be the first thin place 
in scripture. Um, <clears throat> maybe not, I don't know. Maybe the Garden of Eden was the first in place, but this is a story from Genesis where um, a guy named Jacob was in a specific spot and he fell asleep with his head on a rock and he had a dream. And in the dream, God says to him, uh, Jacob, you're, you're going to be great. You're going to be um, the, the father of many nations, just sort of like he told his, uh, his ancestor Abraham. Um, oh, actually, this is the story where some of you may have heard it called Jacob's Ladder, where it's described as a ladder with, with angels ascending and descending. Some of you may know it as Jacob's Ladder. Others of you may know it as the Stairway to Heaven, right? So if that's your jam, um, Stairway to Heaven is from this, right? So this is Jacob dreams of this stairway. Anyway, that's not the point. Um, it's a great song, though. So in, uh, in this dream, God tells him great things, uh, and then he wakes up. And when he wakes up, here's what Jacob says. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So he says, wow, I had this amazing experience with God. I didn't even realize this was a special place, a thin place, but I had this moment with God. And so what he did was he took the rock that he was sleeping on and he sort of made it into a monument and renamed the place because it was a special place, right? So, so I began to think about this. I began to think about what, what happens in these thin places? What happens when we connect to God? And I went back to the Celts and the idea of, the, uh, of their, their imagination um, I began to think about what is it about music and poetry and art and drama um, <clears throat> that connects us with God in, in such deep ways. And I realized it has to do with imagination. So I want to talk about imagination in prayer, imagination and faith. But I want to make sure you understand when I say imagination, I don't mean fantasy. I don't mean something that's not real. I mean imagination in that it is our capacity to create images in our mind of things that are not physically present with us. So a simple example would be um, this past January, uh, I went overseas for work. I had to go for two weeks. I was doing a research project in Cambridge, England, and uh, my family couldn't go with me the whole time. They were coming later, but for the first almost, almost a week, not quite a week, I was there by myself. It was the first time I had been overseas across the ocean without my family. And, um, just because I went over to England, once I landed at, at uh, you know, Heathrow Airport, my family didn't disappear. They didn't cease to exist. I didn't stop being married or stop having kids. They were still real, but they weren't physically with me. So what did I have to do? I had to imagine them. And I could imagine them. I could see their face in my mind. I could imagine what their voices sounded like. Um, I would think about, oh, what are they doing now? Are they up yet? I know I'm up because it's early here, but they're probably still sleeping. Or when I'm going to bed, I'm wondering, are they eating dinner? You know, so I use my imagination to engage with them because they weren't physically present with me. So back to this idea of a thin place being this, the, the, where the veil is a little thinner between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Well, when we're in our physical realm where we can see and, and hear and touch, but God is spirit. We can't see God. We can't hear him. Uh, God has never written, except for one time, he wrote words on the wall with his hand. But other than that, he's never written anything to us, right? It's been in the imagination of the, the, the authors of scripture. It's been in the imagination of the people that God has spoken to. And so, again, I'm not saying it's fantasy. I'm not saying it's not true, but it exists in this place that is not a physical place. So for us, I believe that music and art and drama and poetry and prayer, all these things really connect us to God in a way that's, that's absolutely meaningful. Um, 
and and all this stuff that I'm talking about with the Celtics, it's all sort of still around today, right? So how many of you have probably seen uh, Celtic art, right? The the Celtic cross or the Celtic knot. Um, I think Celtic knots are probably one of the one of the most uh, popular things these days from Celtic culture. Celtic music has sort of made a comeback. So so we engage with this stuff because it was so meaningful and so deep. Even the prayers of St. Patrick and of Aidan and some of the others who worked with the Celts, these prayers are beautiful poetry, right? And we connect in those ways. So to me, if I'm going to draw near to God, and this is the point, how do I draw near to God? I, I have to use my imagination. I have to sit in a place where, where God uh, can be drawn to my mind, where I can imagine him sitting with me, or I can imagine myself in his presence. I can imagine the things that he is doing in my life, and I use my imagination to connect with those parts of me that I cannot experience with my five senses. Um, and I think that's a powerful, powerful way. When we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And then one, one final thing, as I, as I began to think about this idea of imagination, I was reminded of, um, <clears throat> there's an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann, and he, he wrote a book in the 1970s called The Prophetic Imagination. And it was a book about Old Testament prophets, but he coined this term prophetic imagination because he explained it this way. He says that, you know, prophets, we, we often think of prophecy as predicting the future. But the Old Testament prophets, in their poetry, and they were poets, they, they wrote poetry, and in their poetry, they were evoking uh, images, right? They were using imagination, and he sort of defined it this way. He said that, that the prophetic imagination is basically um, imagining something that exists outside the bounds of the current reality, right? So I'll say that again. The prophets were imagining something outside the bounds of the current reality. When Israel was behaving in a certain way and it wasn't in line with what God wanted, the prophets would, would speak these words and images that, that weren't true at the moment, but they would say, this is the thing that, that is, is possible. This is the thing that can happen. If you stray from God, this can happen. If you come back to God, this can happen. So they, they created these images about um, about good futures, about negative futures. They created images about the Messiah coming eventually and making all things right. So the idea is the prophetic imagination is, is this concept that the imagination can actually be uh, prescriptive. It can actually help create the future. So when we draw near to God with our imagination, we can, in similar ways to the prophets, create positive futures and outcomes um, that, that God can work with. <clears throat> I think of it this way. I think of it like, um, like an inventor. Uh, inventors have to use their imagination before they actually create something, right? Um, so they use their imagination. It doesn't mean that that is, is, is fiction or fantasy. It means that they have to think of the concept and then they can put it into practice. Um, one, of the, one of the things I remember when I was studying as a kid, um, I remember seeing drawings of Leonardo da Vinci uh, and the drawings of his flying machine that he invented. Um, it, it looks a whole lot like a helicopter, folks, uh, just not to be a spoiler or anything. But Leonardo da Vinci kind of invented the helicopter. He didn't build it. He didn't make it. But he thought of it. It existed in his imagination. And eventually technology was able to put things in place where we could actually have this machine with a rotating wing that would, that would help people fly. So so how does this work in scripture? Well, one of the verses I love to think about with this is um, in Luke 10, uh, chapter 10, uh, Jesus is sending out his disciples to go do the work of the kingdom, right? And, and he gives them this instruction. He's talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, go into these towns and villages, heal the sick who are there 
and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So Jesus is telling people to bring healing and restoration to people, and that is the act of bringing the kingdom of God near to those people. What I'm getting at here is that if we want to see healing in our world, if we want to see justice in our world, if we want to see God's kingdom come into, into play in our world in a very real way, we have to imagine that beforehand. And in imagining that, we, we are praying for that. We, we pray in imaginative ways by saying, God, I have this image of, 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 a, of a country where people are treated equally, where, where people don't have to suffer, where, where the marginalized are no longer marginalized. I have this image and I pray for that to come into existence. So to me, <clears throat> this idea of drawing near to God and God drawing near to us is totally wrapped up in the idea of imagination. How can we sit with Jesus and imagine him being present in our lives, but also how can we imagine God working in our world through us to change things? Um, I want to finish up with a quote from uh, a book that, that kind of talks about Patrick. Um, actually, this, is, this, is, this book is quoting Thomas Cahill, who wrote the other book I was talking about. Um, <clears throat> so I want to mention this. Uh, this is kind of pa contrasting Patrick with St. Augustine. You may have heard of St. Augustine. He was a almost contemporary of Patrick's who lived and worked in England around the same time. He had been sent to England by Rome. <clears throat> they had very different ideas about things, but they were still both, both Christian. Here's what Cahill says. Patrick's emotional grasp of Christian truth may have been greater than Augustine's. Augustine looked into his own heart and found there the inexpressible anguish of each individual which enabled him to articulate a theory of sin that has no equal, the dark side of Christianity. Patrick prayed, made peace with God, and then looked not only into his own heart, but into the hearts of others. What he saw convinced him of the bright side, that even slave traders can turn into liberators. Even murderers can act as peacemakers. Even barbarians can take their place among the nobility of heaven. And I just think that is a beautiful, beautiful thought. Through our imagination, we can imagine God changing hearts, God changing our circumstances, God changing our own lives. So maybe, maybe it's prayers for our nation. Maybe you want to imagine God changing our, our community, your community. Maybe you need to imagine God changing your own home. But we can use our imagination in prayer and God can work through that and make a difference in the world. Um, so to me, that's what I think of when I think of drawing near to God. So as this week, as I was thinking of Jehovah Shammah, God is near, I thought, yeah, God is near. And I want to imagine him near and I want to imagine him working and changing the world.